in our post-Christian scientific age, talking about resurrection can seem very strange indeed. In this sermon, given on the second Sunday of Easter, Richard Helmer explores one of the stories of the risen Christ's appearances to his first followers, suggesting that empirical evidence may not, in fact, be at all the truth we are needing to seek, but rather another kind of truth rooted in the boundless mysteries of relationship. In the name of the risen Christ, amen. So every second Sunday of Easter, we hear once again this passage from the Gospel according to John. It's a passage known for the second and third appearances of the risen Christ to Jesus' followers. The first, if you've been counting, was to Mary Magdalene in the garden outside the tomb on Easter morning. It's a passage known for a strange manner of Christ's appearing, of Jesus somehow and mysteriously being no longer blocked by shut and locked doors, of a risen body as strange as it is inspiring, of marks in the flesh that hold evidence of the crucifixion, and yet somehow this flesh is different from the flesh and blood that we know. For us living in the West in the 21st century, this story about the risen Christ is as strange as it is tantalizing because our understanding of the human person, of biology, of psychology, and even cosmology are so radically different from that of the apostles and the author of John. We risk sometimes the resurrection narratives of scripture getting lost to us in a sea of cultural translation, lost in translation. One of the great counterpoints for me this past Holy Week in Easter was that in the midst of the great Christian mystery of salvation, the very heart of our faith, I've been reading Brian Greene's The Fabric of the Cosmos, And that is the preeminent and popularizing physicist's follow-up to The Elegant Universe, which was a Pulitzer Prize finalist a few years back. So I have been reading about the great scientific minds of the Enlightenment and their discoveries up to the 20th century, from Isaac Newton to Albert Einstein to the foundation of quantum mechanics and into the late 20th century with the discovery of runaway expansion in the universe, the likes of Heisenberg and particle accelerators of quarks, strings, and inflationary Big Bang theories. And if you think I love this stuff, you're probably right. Brian Greene's enthusiasm just leaps off page after page as he makes some of the most arcane and highly technical aspects of his vocation accessible, yet intellectually stimulating for the average reader. But of course he makes very little, if absolutely no, reference to God or to Christ 
and probably for a number of very sensible reasons, being the good scientist that he is. And so while I was reading this, of course, I was also turning to the familiar, at least to us Christians, those familiar central stories that are written and experienced at a time when God was believed to dwell beyond the dome of the sky. The earth was thought by many flat and bounded by the sea, and spirits, good and evil, were close at hand, if not in every corner, then at least in the wilderness nearby. And then as part of my vocation as priest and my faith as Christian, to call forth Christ both publicly and privately and to name Christ Savior, risen, and Son of God. A bit like a love sonnet that seems to be playing a different tune these days, a tune that's dissonant with that in some respects of our scientific world, a language and a worldview that attempts to define all things with clarity, with formulae or probability, certainly better definitions perhaps than placing faith in mystery. So it's this kind of internal conundrum that I've held off until Easter, maybe to be honest because I was holding out hope that Easter this year, unlike previous years, would reveal something startling and utterly profound that would solve the tension that we all hold to a greater or lesser degree inside. That tension between seeing is believing, but even then, and the opposite, which is a faith rooted in a thoroughgoing notion of God's omnipresence and transcendence, where nothing matters outside of God's gracious will, the faith that so many of our ancestors held. In all honesty, I stand before you on Low Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter, a little bit disappointed. No great insights. I haven't been struck by lightning. Well, at least not yet. Faith in our time can be a confusing matrix, it seems to me, of conflicting opinion and worldviews. It is tempting on one side, of course, to engage in blind belief, to shut off our contemporary mindsets and understandings of the world and universe at the entrance to the church, or before we crack open the Bible, or before we even pray. But of course, when we hear that articulated by some of our sisters and brothers, we tend to frown a little bit. But it is also tempting on the other side to engage in a thoroughgoing skepticism that can range into agnosticism, where we risk believing next to nothing, and potentially leading a life of confused individualistic indifference. Some have accused the West of such an impoverished spirituality, if it can be called that, and it is hard to counter them, because surely we don't want a faith devoid of intellectual rigor, but nor do we want a faith so lukewarm that it has no meaning or power in our lives. But thankfully we have today's gospel. 
I say thankfully because it does not necessarily demand belief or certitude about any particular kind of cosmology or adopting any particular cultural viewpoint in any thoroughgoing way. It does not demand that Christ has a particular kind of resurrected biological body that all the scientists can get out and measure with their yardsticks and find empirical defense for the resurrection. There's nothing in the text that we can parse out that suggests that. It only hints at something unusual, something transcendent, something divine, and leaves it there for us to wonder at. The nature of Christ's body is not the heart of this passage. The risen Christ comes to his followers not with some grand scheme or cosmology or even a great book for that matter. He does not come with an empirical description of what happened at 12.01 a.m. on Easter Sunday while his body was in the tomb. Nor does he come with expectations that we need some kind of mathematical justification or principle to define him. He doesn't demand any particulars of belief, but simply utters, peace be with you. Shalom. The disciples, just like us, had their own internal conflicts their own wrestling with differing worldviews and what would happen for them next. What would they do about the religious authorities who might be out to get them, too? And then for the community in which John's gospel was written, the conflict was about how to move forward with being faithful when the Christian community had become anti-societal in a broader Jewish context when their religious roots were being cut off from both within and without, where their identity, their worldview was in crisis, and in some ways, so is ours. And Jesus says, peace be with you. He breathes on his followers and commends them to the ministry of reconciliation. Now, it is Thomas who is most recognizable, at least to those of us who live in the skeptical age that we do, an age that demands evidence. But he has not offered the evidence of the risen Christ until he is with the others in community again. And Thomas, when he proclaims, my Lord and my God, upon seeing the risen flesh of Christ, is only gently chided by Jesus who reminds him that the greatest blessing falls upon us who believe, but who have not seen with our own eyes, at least not in the narrow way that Thomas had. And that, of course, is a little bit frustrating for us in a post-Christian culture where proof is often demanded and cynicism abounds. Our faith is too much like Thomas's at times. We want God, Christ, and resurrection on our own terms. Perhaps we want it even mathematically and scientifically bounded and theorized. We want tomes by Brian Greens to tell us the shape, the woof, and the warp of the risen body and the truth of the resurrection. But God knows us better than that. 
Thomas might have been convinced for a while at seeing and touching the wounds of the risen Christ, but would that have really put an end to the questions later on? What kind of witness could he offer but his own testimony when presented with a simple assertion that any sensible person would give him that maybe he was just delusional? After all, anyone who would come forward and say to us that they have met with the dead or touched resurrected bodies, even us good, thoroughgoing Christians would wonder about their sanity. Thomas demanded evidence, but the risen Christ was not so interested in evidence as Thomas or we might be. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we are not free to live into the joy of the resurrection until we begin to see beyond our narrow intellectual constructs of what is true and what isn't. We will not grasp the full joy of resurrection until we begin to understand faith not as offering blind assent, but as living deeply into relationships. Until we begin to understand belief as more than provable hypotheses or defended theory. I don't know Brian Greene personally, but having read what he has written, I have to think he would probably agree with me when he would say he is only looking at a particular kind of truth. Truth that has a particular kind of content and substance but that does not truly embrace all of human experience. So until we begin to understand belief as following in a way where conquering death and fear involves entering the conflicted parts of our lives and communities and reclaiming the risen Christ's simple words to his followers, peace be with you, shalom. It is only then that we will truly begin to embrace the profound and mysterious truths of resurrection. Because the risen Christ leaves Thomas's concerns somehow honored and intact. He doesn't contradict them. The risen Christ of Easter leaves us to wrestle with the intellectual and the mathematical and the physical mysteries of the universe and God's relationship and place in and with it and beyond it. Christ endows good minds and particle accelerators to plumb the questions of Einstein and Newton and Galileo and great contemporary minds like Brian Greene. He leaves the exacting questions of deep-thinking theologians to the theologians. The risen Christ, it seems to me, does not expect intellectual comprehension to precede relationships which makes sense, actually. Because, of course, how many of you can claim that you understand your best friends, let alone your spouses, or for heaven's sake, your children, in any thoroughgoing intellectual sense? Probably not. Probably with great consternation at times. Then why do we expect ourselves to somehow understand God and the risen Christ any better? 
The message and mystery of resurrection is much more simple and much more profound than intellectually rigorous, which is probably as it should be. Resurrection was not meant for only the intellectually adept and curious, although it belongs to them too, of course. It was meant for little children, for the aged, for the infirm, for the uneducated, for the powerless, for the poor, for people of all walks of life, both far away and close at hand. It was meant for the scientist as well as the banker, for the librarian as well as the farmer. It was intended for those who say seeing is believing, like Thomas, for the inspired women puzzled and in wonder at the tomb, like Mary Magdalene. And, of course, resurrection was for the bold and sometimes foolish folk who barely recognize the difference between faith and doubt, let alone take time to stop and ponder it, like Peter. It was intended for the likes of you and me, who spend much of our lives, like much of our culture, skeptical, uncertain, bathed in information and opinion, and sometimes living on the borders of existential despair. And yet, at other times, of course, we find ourselves joyous and filled with spirit, hungry to give and receive love, and brimming with new hope. The risen Christ comes among us in all of our complex humanity, breathing on us the blessing of spirit and gently uttering to us, peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom to fear-weary souls. We are freed by the resurrection, freed from the power of fear, free from needing to know in great detail and empirical certainty what is and what isn't, freed from the power of death in all its forms, free to forgive, free to heal, to heal ourselves and others, free to embrace relationships in all of their strangeness and mystery, and a mysterious God who defies all of our intellectual boxes and worldviews and demands only that we embrace and offer to others the grace and love of life that we have received in whatever way we have been gifted. And to do so not in isolation, but in the rough and tumble of community. And we are free to love with a clarity and a sense of renewed purpose that the first apostles found as they broke out into the streets and towns proclaiming the good news of the risen Christ to everyone who would listen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org We wish you God's peace and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.